Nebraska football game, week zero, which includes the Nebraska Cornhuskers coming to Illinois for the first game of the Brett Bielema era. Uh, we're excited tonight to have from Husker Online, part of the Rivals.com network, Robin Washett, who covers Nebraska as well as anyone, basketball, football. He's He knows everything about the Cornhuskers, and so he's going to tell us, give us some inside scoop on the Cornhuskers. So how's the football camp gone for Nebraska so far? Well, uh, up until about a week ago, you could say it was one of the more relatively quiet off seasons. And keep in mind, that's when uh, an athletic director abruptly, quote unquote, retired and they brought back a former All-American to be the new athletic director. So that's what Nebraska has <laughs> been the last few years is when that is kind of the only news you take it as a good thing. But then obviously uh, the headlines with the you know NCAA investigation kind of threw a wrench and and all that. But as far as the on the field stuff, I think things have gone about as well as Scott Frost and the staff could have hoped. Um, you know, I think that they're an older veteran team and the guys that they're really rely on, relying on to step up and be fixtures on both sides of the ball have done that. Uh, they returned six super seniors on defense uh, starters. And so they're, they're a very experienced group at all three levels um, on that side of the ball. And obviously Adrian Martinez coming back for his fourth year, you know, they've been kind of waiting for three years now for him to get back to the form that he showed, uh, you know, during his freshman season. And for whatever reason, just hasn't happened, but he's slimmed down considerably. Like the last couple of years, he's been really bulky because they wanted him to be more durable and he's missed time no matter what. So he, he went back, he looks a lot more just physically like he did his freshman year. So he's faster and he's kind of got a little bit of a, I guess you could call it a chip on his shoulder to where like, I think he knows that everybody's kind of been writing him off. And so he's got a lot to prove. So anyway, you know, I think he's saying all the right things and, you know, they upgraded significantly at the skill positions, especially at wide receiver. Um, you know, wide, that was a real weak point over the past couple of years where they had maybe one, maybe two guys that were viable big 10 wide receivers. Well, now they look to have, some, some depth there. Um, they're relatively inexperienced. I think their number one is going to be a transfer from Montana, Samari Toure, who, um, you know, he was a FCS All-American that could have gone to the Senior Bowl this past year, but decided to come back for another year of college. And so he's kind of taken the, the lead on that. But there's some other guys that, um, you know, they're really excited about to where they, they finally have some numbers there. Running back is still a question. Uh, they have not named a starter. There's about three candidates for that job right now that have kind of emerged going into the first game week. Um, one is Marquis Step. He's a transfer from USC. Uh, he you know, played a decent amount um, there. He's from, from Indiana. So he's kind of got a big 10 guys, 230 pounds. So he kind of fits a little bit more of, a, of what Nebraska wants with a bigger back, but they also have uh, a yeah, second year freshman in Sevion Morrison, who was a four-star recruit, top 50 player out of Tulsa, Oklahoma in the 2020 class. Well, he missed all of last season because of injury, and then he got COVID. So he's, his career kind of never got out of the gates, and he's had a really great camp, probably one of the kind of surprises of Nebraska's fall camp at, at that position because some people kind of written him off because they never seen him do anything here. So uh, he's vying for that job. And the third guy is a freshman, uh, Gabe Irvin. He's from uh, Buford, Georgia, another four-star type of uh, recruit that came here and immediately made an impact as an early, early enrollee guy, the spring uh, caught everybody's attention. So again, it's one of those spots where they're, they're unproven, but I think they like what they have. And then 
maybe lastly, the offensive line, uh, you know, they're, as far as game snaps, inexperienced, but they're a bunch of like third, fourth, fifth year guys that have been in this program a long time. And you want to look at one spot that Scott Frost and the staff have upgraded uh, maybe as much as any position on the team is probably just the physical makeup of that offensive line. They're bigger, they're longer. Uh, you know, they got a few high profile guys that are seemingly starting to come into their own a little bit. So you know, all that being said, the pieces appear to be there, but you know, when it comes down to it, can Nebraska stay out of its own way? Can they stop the bonehead turnovers and, you know, opening drives with a false start and being behind the chains, uh, you know, before we even take a snap and, you know, to have the defensive breakdowns where, uh, you know, you let Illinois and a shorthanded Minnesota just run right over you. So, I mean, those are the types of things that we just don't know. I mean, on paper, this is by far the best team Scott Frost has had, but they have yet to prove that they're capable of playing clean enough football to make that jump. And until they actually prove it, you're always going to have your doubts about just, just how good this team can be. You mentioned, you mentioned Frost and the kind of the off the field stuff, what's going on with that? I mean, allegations that practices that were you know, outside the regulations or COVID regulations. I, yeah. I haven't looked at that deeply, but what's the status there and what do you expect to happen with that? Yeah. So I guess the, on the surface and individually, when you look at them, they're, don't seem like that big of a deal. Um, I guess the, the the one was they have a, they had a special teams analyst. They don't. They're one of the few Big Ten teams that don't have a full time special teams coach on staff, and so they tried to get around that by uh, filling that role with an analyst position. And obviously, for those who don't know, analysts can do everything except coach on the field. You know, they can do meetings, they can go over film, they can work on game plan, all that stuff. But when it comes to being on the field of practice or workouts with on-field instruction, they're not allowed to do it. So apparently there was some leaked video footage of their special teams analyst on the field, talking to players, coaching. So, you know, I don't know, there's SEC schools with like 10 or 12 analysts. I'm sure they don't do any coaching whatsoever. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those where it's like, okay, well, I think there's actually like, 10 to 12 other schools that are implicated in this investigation as well. So it's not just a Nebraska thing. It's kind of a, a sweeping deal that the NCAA is trying to do. So that's that. I don't expect much to come from that. Maybe you know, I were some probation or something like that. The other issue, which, you know, is a little more of a gray area was, you know, during last, last season, uh, they had the uh, real heavy restrictions on, organized workouts with with coach coaches led stuff players could get together and do whatever they wanted but if there was coaches kind of organizing it and facilitating it and uh you know being on the field with the guys and that was a violation so there's you know the allegations that they were running staff members were running workouts with the team on an off-site location uh they were uh, i guess from the looks of it they were trying to be sneaky about it and uh you know work around the rules so uh i don't know what is going to come of that just because it's kind of uncharted territory and right. never had, it's just never been in a, we've never a, had COVID before. Right. right. So, <laughs> so we'll see, but again, I, I don't think in itself, it's anything that's, you know, they're not, they're not going to like lose postseason eligibility out of it or something. I don't think so. And then the other part of the report was, uh, you know, going back to something that came out all the way back in March that Nebraska was trying to get out of their, uh, 50 year anniversary of the game of the century with Oklahoma. Uh, and 
they've addressed that time and again. They're, they wanted to reshape their non-conference schedule with their Ireland game. Um, you know, obviously, got moved back to Champaign. Right. They didn't need a bye week in week one, so they were trying to ju- you know juggle their schedule around a little bit. And you know, I'm sure what it came down to, they wanted to get a game they could win. Uh, you know, because yeah. this is a very critical year, and if you can yeah. get another bye game on there and add another victory to get you closer to six for the first time under Scott Frost, you know, I guess I understand that. So, long story short. I don't know if there's going to be anything like overly severe that comes out of this, but what the the bigger issue is, is that once again, Nebraska football, Scott Frost, the program, the athletic department is in the national headlines for all the wrong reasons. It's another bad look, you know, it's even if nothing comes out of it, headlines, Nebraska NCAA investigation were everywhere. It was the top, top story on ESPN. And so, you know, those are the types of things that's happened and have happened far too often over the last few years, especially when you pair that with the lack of on-field success. You know, I think the fan base is just kind of getting worn out a little yeah. bit of just like constantly getting dunked on on Twitter, like with anything that happens with sort of stuff. So people are kind of, I mean, they're, they're just sick of this stuff. And so yeah. as insignificant, if you want to call it that, as some of this stuff seems on the surface, you add it to this just pile of, you know, junk that, you know, the fans and the program have had to deal with over the last four five, six years, or maybe going back to Bo Pelini to where just from a, a public standpoint, Nebraska just, you know, again, they, they're their own worst enemies in a lot of ways. So that's probably the bigger issue that, you know, it was already a lot of pressure on this season to make a tangible step forward, you know, have a winning record, go to a bowl game for the first time since 2016. Uh, you know, those types of things. Now you add all this stuff of 10 days before the first game, you know, a very critical first game that is going to dictate the course of the 2021 season. And now you are, you know, having your head coach and your program name blasted all over with the NCAA investigation by it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like when you win, if you're winning nine or 10 games every year, this kind of gets, no one cares. But if you're not winning nine or 10 games, this is like a big deal. You know I mean? To the people, it's like, well, it's an excuse. You know, they're looking for excuses when you're not winning enough. And that's exactly. college athletics in, in a nutshell. Yeah. If, you, if Scott Frost doesn't make a bowl game this year, is, is he done? I mean, I'm, it, it, I, I hate to put, I, I hate the, you know, ultimatums win now or, but I mean, it's reality. I think in college athletics, eventually you have to win. Yeah, I mean, if you go four straight years with a losing record, I mean, <laughs> I don't care where you are, you're going to be on the hot seat, but especially at a place like Nebraska where, uh, I mean, the expectations, no matter what their recent success uh, has been or lack thereof, the expectation is to compete for championships here. And, you know, he's gotten the benefit of the doubt. Uh, obviously, you know, they, they blame the previous staff with Mike Riley for this, you know, culture it was a mess and, and the talent wasn't there. So first couple of years, they gave him a pass for having to just rebuild the roster, which it was pretty significant, the amount of turnover that happened those first two years. So people kind of just took those years for what they were. And then obviously last year being the COVID year, everybody was thrown for a loop. So this is the first real season where you need to start seeing some stuff. Uh, I mean, you have to, like I said, you, you have to show some tangible evidence that this program is moving in the right direction. And right now uh, it's about wins. And you, you have to win. Uh, you have to show that you're going to uh, put yourself in a position to compete for the Big Ten West, to potentially compete uh, for the for a Big Ten title. I mean, because with the money being spent and this football program and on these coaches, 
you know, that's, that's the expectation. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big year in a lot of different ways, but then you add in just kind of all the stuff with a new athletic director. Uh, I mean, that, that definitely added a level of intrigue as well. You know, Trev Alberts, uh, you know, former all American linebacker here. Uh, you know, he's said all the right things. You know, he's kind of given his full support to Scott Frost, but we know, what that means you know if anybody that's covered a, you have, a you have coach, support until they fire you <laughs> exactly exactly so you know i think everybody kind of understands the situation right now and you know you add in this this other stuff like i said on the surface the the, the investigations it seems insignificant but you got a boss that's already kind of evaluating you pretty closely as to are you the right guy and then you're you don't even yeah. get to play a game under him and this stuff starts happening so i mean this it just puts so much more emphasis on this Illinois game. I mean that it is, in my opinion, easily the biggest season opener of Scott Frost's career, and you could say maybe the biggest game of Scott Frost's career here, just because of what it means not only for getting their season off to a right start, but I mean they 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 go out there and win that game. Like you said, all that stuff just kind of people forget about it, and they start yeah. feeling good. You have some positive momentum, then you go you post Fordham, so there's another win right there. So. They, they haven't won two straight games and you know, who knows how long. So, I mean, just that in itself, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's critical. And then, you know, if you have the opportunity to be three, and know, going into Oklahoma, you know, I mean, who knows what can happen, but if you right. lose that game, you go lose to a first year head coach. And I, I know that Brett Bielema has got, you know, quite the track record in this conference, but you know, I mean, it's, it's a first year school, or a program uh, under a new coach that's kind of going through all this transition and you're in your fourth year and you brought back all these seniors and you have a four year starting quarterback. Like, you know, it's going to be really tough to recover from that. Then you, they lose to Illinois. All of a sudden you're starting to wonder if they can beat Buffalo, let alone, you know, keep things remotely respectable against Oklahoma. So, I mean, yeah, I can't stress it enough. This, this game here on Saturday is going to be, the biggest game of Scott Frost's career for a lot of different ways. Yeah, they may. You may have people clamoring for Bo Pelini again. You know, I mean, if that if that happens, I've actually seen a couple people online say, "Why one do we thing fire I him?" About so. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I'll say about Bo Pelini is he beat all the teams he was supposed to beat, but then got humiliated by all the game, all the the team, the games right. that mattered. I mean, he, you know, he beat all the non conference games and you know won the the, the winnable conference games but then when it came to playing you know wisconsin or ohio state they'd lose by 60 or 70 and just be humiliated on the national stage so then you put in all the other stuff i mean you know it's, it's you could write an yeah. entire book about the bo Pelini yeah, era, but and optics honestly, are so big optics yeah. are so important i mean yeah it, you know seven and five and losing by a touchdown to ohio state is fine seven and five and you get beat by 58 it's not as good. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so when you give them 70 in the Big Ten championship game, is it a good season? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot yeah. of points. So as, as you kind of look at it, and we, Illinois says, looks at this game, you know, obviously beating Nebraska last year and, and uh, or and last time. And, and I think Illinois is old too. I mean, that's why they're probably a little dangerous because they're not, although it's a first-year coach, they've got the most super seniors in the country. More, more super seniors than any team in the country. So they're not a team that hasn't been there before, even if they're not maybe as talented as Nebraska. That's kind of a dangerous game. If you don't bring your A game, they're they're probably able to beat you on a given day. So that's uh, it's a little – I think this is a, for both programs, it kind of shows that maybe how far Bielema has to go. 
or it shows, you know, if it's a competitive game, maybe it's good for both sides, you know, no matter who wins. But if, if Nebraska rolls Illinois, it's kind of like, wow, we got a long way to go. If Illinois wins, Nebraska's got to be thinking maybe it's time for us to make a change. So it's a big game. Week zero, season one even started. We already got it all figured let's, out. Let's, so let's, let's get it started off right here. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so what are the, if you look at Nebraska, obviously you mentioned some of the offensive strength. What are the strengths and weaknesses of this team? If you look at this, most of, most of the things you talked about were strengths offensively. Is maybe defense the weakness then? No, no, I would say this is the exact opposite. Defense really? is the strength particularly their front seven. Um, their defensive line is really good. Um, they got a lot of depth there. Uh, they've hit on some really good recruits. they got guys like Ty Robinson, who's a former you know, borderline five-star recruit uh, from the 2020 class. Or Yeah, and then uh, Casey Rogers. And so they, they've got these young talents, but then you have a super senior in Ben Stilley who is coming off his best year. Um, and so they, they've got a lot of numbers and a lot of talent up front that – should make them pretty stout. And then behind them, uh, these by far the best linebacking core they've had. Uh, and they brought back uh, two guys that were essentially starters um, in inside linebacker. And then they have a you know, guy like Jojo Doman, who's he was recruited as a safety. They put some weight on him. So he's kind of that hybrid nickelback linebacker safety type guy. Uh, and then on the back end, they returned all three or three of their four starters um, at safety and corner. Cam Taylor Britt is uh, arguably one of the better corners in the Big Ten Conference. So the one question there is at that other side at the cornerback spot, that was really the only position battle that still, I guess, as of today is uh, unsettled as far as who the starter is going to be. Um, they have some options. Uh, they got Quentin Newsom, who started a game for him last year. And then they just brought in Tyreek Johnson, who's a former four, five-star from Ohio State that just transferred over the offseason. So, you know, again, they have some options. And so, the talent is there at the top and they have a lot of depth and that defense is going to have them in position to win games. The question is, can the offense do its part? And for the last three years, the answer has been a resounding no. Uh, the offense has been dismal, especially for a head coach that's made his name as being this offensive guru. Uh, it is not translated whatsoever. Uh, the identity or lack thereof uh, has been a huge issue where they just don't know what they are. And I think that they want to be more physical this year. They've said that in the past, so we'll see if it actually translates. But when I, you know, I mentioned that the offensive line is different, you know, they're bigger, stronger offensive line. They got some bigger backs. Uh, they have bigger wide receivers. They're not trying to win with the the five foot eight track stars anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they they got big six foot two, two hundred plus pound guys uh, on the edge. Uh, they really look good at the tight end position. Uh, Austin really high on Austin Allen. Um, he's a his fifth year junior we just named a team captain and you know there's guys talking about him having nfl potential so they have a lot of weapons but again it comes down to can they stay out of their own way can they not make the crippling mistakes that really cost them multiple games last year uh, and even going it back to previous years where there's the, the turnovers uh, the penalties uh, you know all, all sorts of things that uh, just really have kept this offense in neutral. So the pieces are there, but until we actually see the product on the field, like I said, people are going to have their concerns and doubts about how good they'll actually be. Yeah, I think uh, I, that's a, turnovers are, you know, such a huge part for Illinois over the past few years. You win that turnover battle, it gives you those field position opportunities. And man, but if you lose that turnover battle, 
it is really hard to overcome that stuff. And unless you're really talented, I mean, Ohio state, I think they could turn it over five times and against Illinois and, and Illinois could have zero and they'd still win. So I, I don't know. I mean, they're just, yeah, it's different. Yeah. That's just, maybe that's like the make it even. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah. lowering the basket or something. If they do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, so I, I guess, uh, you know, so you're looking at this game, this is a, a huge week zero game, perhaps, you know, I look at this game and I know it's Bielema's first year. So for him, it's not like job deciding type game, but it really, if, if they want to, you know, I think he want, thinks that with all the super seniors, he has a chance to get to a bowl game. I think they're, they're in that mix to maybe get six wins, but they have to win some games that maybe they're not supposed to win. And this would be one of them. So what's your prediction looking at the, this matchup of two? Yeah. These are two older teams. I know. Yeah. So I think the line I last saw has been anywhere from like six and a half to seven uh, for Nebraska, which on the road it, it seems generous to me. Um, I think Nebraska, like given all that's on the line for them, this is a must win game. And if they're not 100% dialed in and basically playing like this is their national championship, then they have a lot bigger issues that uh, are going to make this for a fun season. But, you know, like you said, Illinois, basically they returned the entire team that came into Lincoln and whipped Nebraska a year ago. So, you know, what, what's changed, what's changed for Nebraska that's going to make them uh, be able to win this, this time around. And again, I think it's just the, uh, the pressure and all that's at stake for Nebraska's end. Like you said, this is kind of one of those things like if Illinois wins, it's huge start to the, to the Bielema era, but if they lose, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, nobody's going to be, you know, bringing out the torches and pitchforks. Whereas at Nebraska, you lose this game. Like I said, this, this thing could go south in a hurry. So that being said, I think Nebraska wins it. I don't know if they cover. So I'm going to say it's going to be something like 35, 31, where it's going to be a lot of offense, uh, probably a few turnovers from yeah. both sides of the ball. And it's going to come down to, you know, somebody making a play at the end. And I just think that, you know, for Nebraska just needs this one significantly more than Illinois needs it in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I had like 31, 27. I haven't decided who's going to have 31 and who's going to have yeah. 27 yet. Though. So <laughs> you I can convince me either way, but right now I'll just, you know, I'll go with Nebraska for now, but nothing would surprise me in this game. I've learned covering Nebraska over the last 20 years that uh, anything that you expect to happen will not happen. And it'll be <laughs> dramatically different than anything you thought. Trust me. I get that. Uh, in Champaign, we do the same thing. So uh, yeah, it's a, especially in the football program, it is the most topsy turvy thing. You go from Rose Bowl one year to, you know, penthouse, the outhouse so in, in no time at all. So um, but anyway, Hey, Hey Robin, I appreciate you coming on to Sturdy for 30 here. I, uh, I, I, I will see you in Champaign this weekend. Uh, looking forward to that. And um, you know, it, people, if you're listening to this uh, podcast and you're a Nebraska fan, check out Husker online, part of the rivals.com network. Robin is the best in the business at covering this stuff. And uh, you will get your money's worth uh, with the subscription. So make sure to check it out. So thanks again, Robin, uh, sturdy for 30, uh, Nebraska, Illinois coming up on Saturday should be fun. <laughs>